does it mean to be a Christian? My mother taught me it meant that Jesus was king of my heart. But in the small East Texas town I was raised in, it meant something very different. There were certain standards to pass. Were your parents Christian? Did you go to church every Sunday? Were your parents married? Among other things... As it happened, the final question was the death knell of my involvement in the church as a young adolescent. I've spoken about this elsewhere, but I've often felt like I was on the outside looking in on the Christian world. I loved Jesus, but the people of Jesus didn't always love me. So I became an atheist and then an agnostic. And you know what? The real issue is that I thought that God had abandoned me. This is Christian Curious, and I'm your host, Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. And today and in upcoming weeks, you'll probably hear my voice be a little different because COVID stole my voice and it has not given it back yet. So I sound a little different on the radio. Um, I sound a little different in person. So my kids are really enjoying that. But there is a distinct difference between those who grew up in a traditional Christian home and those who did not. Today, I would like to introduce you to an incredibly gifted Christian woman who, like me, did not find a traditional path to Jesus. Asia Nicholson is a woman of many talents, giftedness, and an incredible life story. She's the leader of the Bridge Ministry of First Baptist Church of Glen Arden in Washington, D.C. Asia, welcome to Christian Care. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Asia, you know, I mean, everybody has their stories about how they came to Jesus. And, you know, a lot of people in America did grow up in Christian homes that did damage their faith. But can I tell can can you tell me a little bit about your own story and about yourself and your background? So I, my family was kind of, they were Christian in theory in that they talked about God. I knew like some stuff about Jesus, but they didn't explicitly, specifically my parents didn't raise my brother and I in the faith. You know, we kind of went to church on holidays, you know, really just hanging out as a family. It really felt like a family outing Um, when we went to church, which was cool. I really appreciated that aspect of it. Um, though, as I got older and I would see people my age living out their different faiths, whether they were Muslim or Jewish, I kind of felt like that was something that I wanted to partake in. I didn't really have a community that I was able to really identify with faith wise. So it was actually a Jewish girl and a Muslim girl, two of my closest friends in undergrad who kind of helped me find, you know, out where I was within Christianity, you know, what God I served, what that looked like for hmm. me, because I really appreciated how you could see their faith worn, literally, like Jewish women wear certain garbs to express uh, whether they're married or, or whatever. And, you know, Muslim women wear hijabs and some of them do, some of them don't. But one of my closest friends, she wore a hijab. And I just loved how you could see what their faith looked like, literally, you know, and what they wore. And I was like, I want to be a part of something where you can tell I serve a God, like based off of what I, you know, I wanted to show like outwardly. Right. Um, and um, I think because my parents didn't force me into any type of religion um, and plus with my dad having been um, 
Muslim for a little while while I was a teenager, I was always kind of encouraged to allow God to speak to me for himself. And I think that my parents did a good job in really surrendering me to God. And you don't really hear a lot of stories about people's parents allowing God to literally be a father and a mother to them. Um, they kind of feel like they have to always do it for God. Be, know, the, like medi- God is, be the mediator in a way. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like my parents really did a good job in making sure that I was well taken care of earthwise, but spirit wise, they really did surrender me over to God and let him do it. And it wasn't even like, well, I'm going to let God take care of you. It was just like, let God tell you. And I think that that's why I have such a, and a, I feel like Jesus is so approachable now because that is how I was introduced to him as a really approachable God who cares about me enough to let me mess up and figure it out and not be forced into anything. So I've had a really positive experience with coming to salvation. And I always tell people, I feel like I've experienced the revelation of who God is as it should have been, which was gentle and calm and um, in a moment of need, but not so much that I was afraid of him. And I have a really, what I consider to be like pure experience with how God reveals himself to me. And and I'm really thankful for that. Well, you know, when you were um, communing with your friends, you know, the Muslim and the Jew, what was it about the figure of Christ that drew you to him among every other, every other person's belief in God? I think that ultimately I, I knew the concept of God But Jesus required a little bit more attention to detail. And it was something about what I heard about Jesus that seemed more relevant. And I feel like um, for me, it was something that I could connect to my today. Like there weren't any practices or anything that would necessarily distance me legalistically from Jesus, right? Like you, I can talk to Jesus while I'm walking. I can talk to Jesus uh, while I'm sitting down. But um, in certain sects of the Muslim faith or the Jewish faith, there are things, active rituals that are necessary that are special and make them feel closer to God, which is understandable. And, you know, if you read the doctrine, you can understand why that is such a prevalent thing. But for me, I was like, Jesus feels accessible anywhere. And I don't feel like yeah. I have to necessarily be anywhere particularly to feel um, close to Jesus. And the fact that Jesus did everything for me, like when I learned, oh, he died on the cross. I was like, oh, okay, sweet. So I don't have to do that. And then, oh, he shed blood. It's like, nice. Another thing I don't have to do. <laughs> so in a very practical and humanly selfish way, I was like, oh, I don't really have to do anything. Like, I just really have to believe in what he did. And I'm totally cool with that. Um, And, you know, as an undergrad, as like a 19-year-old undergrad, you love hearing people have done stuff for you. You're already broke. You already don't have much to (laughs) do. So it's like, so this is free, you know? And it felt like a gain. It felt like something that I would, would enjoy as I learned about it. And just learning about an actual freedom through security felt really exciting to me as someone who was already away from home and already dealing with anxiety and stuff. It's like, oh, okay, this is one aspect of security that is free, that I don't have to pay for, and that people in my family will ultimately be really happy that I invested in. <laughs> right. Yeah. So were the, were the things that you had to give up when you came in, to, you know, to be a Christian? I know for me, it required, you know, you know, deep lifestyle changes. What about you? Um, 
I don't know that I was so kind of on an opposite side of how I should have been living that it required such a deep lifestyle change. I think the the most intense lifestyle change for me was probably giving grace to myself first because then it affected how I would treat other people. So I was, I'm naturally kind of, because I was kind of always in the arts and such, because I was raised to literally score myself and be performative for people. That is how you literally get applause in performing arts. And so carrying that in the body of Christ is like, you don't have to perform. And so when other people would perform, I would be super judgmental. So I think just my attitude and my character would be like the hardest thing, not any specific action that led me into deep, you know, sin or, or what have you, but literally just my heart posture and God really softened my heart toward myself, which allowed me to have a soft heart toward other people who weren't navigating how I would have. And that's still something that I work on today. Um, I can be just super legalistic at times because I did experience God in, in such a different way. I'm like, well, don't you know what Jesus did for you? Like, why would you do this? Why would you do this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, hold on. Like, they didn't experience, God doesn't reveal himself to everyone the same way. And it's okay. Right. Um, because he reveals himself in spirit and in truth as they are, which just shows the glory of God to even want to do that. And so I think just my heart being softened to different types of expressions of God's revelation has helped and has been the biggest change for me. Um, you know, you, you reference the fact that you are a creative person, that you're in the arts. And, you know, one of the criti- criti- criticisms of Christianity is that there's not a lot of beautiful Christian art anymore. I mean, if you can look at an eon's past, you can see, you know, beautiful art, you know, inspired by, you know, Christianity. And yeah, we don't kind of see, we don't really see that today. So I'm interested to hear about how your faith impacted your creativity and your um, performance. I definitely, I think that the art in antiquity was kind of, it was so specific to what was going on. A lot of it is similar and looks the same, I think, just because there was always some, there was always some famine, there was always some war, there was always some king thinking they were God. So I feel like that's why the art seems so huge and, and, and almost flamboyant because it's like there, there seemed to always be some historical event happening. But I think almost, to be honest, I think that that's going to come out of whatever, whenever this kind of pandemic situation ends like from 2020 to maybe i don't know 2023 24 i think that eventually there will be apocalyptic type art that comes out of it from believers and non-believers kind of expressing what it feels like to be what what feels like abandonment from god so i almost think that the exact same thing will happen with people quitting their jobs and such so that's what i think just about like the art and christian art can you expand Um, on that a little bit that's really interesting so you think that there will be a resurgence in apocalyptic art based because of the things that we've uh, been dealing with in our culture can you expound on that a little bit i think even myself i started painting for fun just because I, I always knew I could kind of doodle and such but I started painting because no one in my family was using this like paint kit and after I painted like so many beaches and such I'm like alright I'm done painting like a sunset 
I just started kind of doing whatever and drawing lines and letting the faces emerge from there. And they became super apocalyptic. And I hadn't realized how much I'd gravitated toward that theme because of what was happening. Like, there was so much death around us. You see on social media, there's we are so desensitized and so normalized to just seeing literal death on our TV screens. There was a... There was the Capitol 6 attack. Like, what? It was on January 6th, which was like six days into New Year. So it's just the fact that there's so much literal violence happening. We see it in our films that it's it's masked as like you know superhero movies and i'm the first one to go see it but it's just the fact that it's it's violence and it's apocalyptic in nature and i think that after this time period is over we will become a little nostalgic for it because we're so used to chaos now that peace will seem almost boring and i found that that is almost that kind of juxtaposition is what i saw at the beginning of 2020, like people were just going out and saying, oh, there's no pollution anymore. Everyone's inside. But then once these protests started happening, it became immediately apocalyptic. And I think that the apocalypse is what people feel most comfortable expressing right now, because you can see it. People it, inflation is happening like there are all these terrible things happening to a lot of people at the same time. Right. And I think that everyone can anyone has the ability to literally call themselves an artist and make their struggle into some type of medium in which they can express how they feel. God has abandoned them, whether they serve, you know, Jesus, Allah, whoever they can literally express the feeling of abandonment that has come and ultimately leads them to feeling like we're living in some type of post-apocalyptic town era. At Denver Seminary, our online, on-campus, and hybrid graduate education programs prepare men and women to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Our mission will equip you for any ministry calling. To learn more about our degree programs, certificate opportunities, and classes, visit denverseminary.edu. So, okay, so for creatives, I know you have a passion for creative people. And by creative people, you mean people in the arts, people in drama, people, you know, on stage or film, people that are painters, um, create. You know, creatives are a large group of people with many diverse talents, but um, they're contemplating some serious things. And I know that that's a passion of yours. And so I was wondering, you know, if you think about your own struggle to find Christ as a creative, what would be your advice for other creative people who might be struggling with the concept of, you know, accepting Jesus? I would say... Let God reveal himself to you as you are. You know, there's no need to, quote unquote, make Christian art or make Christian films. Just let God influence how you film. You know, I think sometimes we think that we have to use the same tools as non-believers do because then, you know, the world will see that Jesus reigns. It's like, well, that that's going to happen either way. Like, we don't need to feel like we're not Jesus's defender. Like, he's our defender. Jesus doesn't. The truth is the truth, whether we believe in it, whether non-believers believe in it. Like, that is just what 
exists and that is what it will be. Right. And I, and think, I think that yeah. that's something yeah. that that might need to be learned because right yeah. now the the counter narrative for that is that, you know, we talk about your truth is your truth and my right. truth is my truth. And right. really that's, you know, you can't do that. Truth is right. truth. It's not, yeah. it doesn't belong to anybody. There's no proprietary, exactly. uh, there, you know, the proprietary ownership over the truth. The truth yeah. is the truth of itself. There's not just yeah. my truth or your truth. It's just right. the truth. It just is. Yeah. God is. That's the truth. Like it, there is no human language to describe the truthfulness of God other than what we have already tried to do and have done well, granted. But when creatives, when we get into this habit of feeling like we have to create an antithesis to non-Christian media, I think that's where we fall into the trap because it almost seems like we're trying to evangelize the whole world at once. Yeah. And it's like, where are you? what are you doing in your local community? What are you doing with the neighbors that God has placed you beside in order to expand the kingdom? Why are you looking across the country and there's someone in front of you who needs bread, you know? And it's like, just look at where you are. Look at, look around you, look at the people in your household. You know, I think that's why when I hear, I never understood why I kept, why I would always hear like married people say like, my first ministry is home. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, obviously. But I think that the reason that, that that is so emphasized is because a lot of people will feel like, even though you have people like home who need to be saved, you need to look beyond them and only focus on people who actually come to church. And it's like, no, the church needs to be going out. It's not just us that need to be fed. We actually need to be moving out from the the walls of the Ford church and, and, and such. And so I think that we just can't always expect for Christian things to happen in Christian bubbles. Like, yeah, to be around non-believers. <laughs> we do, we do, and there's there's that tension between, you know, the world and Christianity, and you know, I know that when I came back to the Christian faith, I did have to give up my non-Christian friends for a degree of time, so mm-hmm. that I could um, situate a life that was based on you know what the, my relationship with Jesus, but at the same time, you know. It doesn't mean that we just have to create everything in a bubble. And, you know, in my research with young adults, one of their questions is, you know, to churches is what good are you doing in the community? And, you know, so I'll ask pastors, I'll say, so if you closed your church doors today, would your community notice and if so, why? And if not, why not? Because the church isn't just meant just for people to go inside and get filled. It's meant to go out and be a transforming impact in the world. And so that is one of the questions that is important for young adults when they're selecting churches, when they're thinking about churches is, is this church doing any good in the community? Is it making a difference mm-hmm. besides just the evangelism part? Is it, you know, helping single mothers get on their feet? Is it helping people get their um, immigration papers? Um, what is the church doing? And I personally think churches should function like community centers. Yeah. <laughs> I literally think they should function like community centers. And I think that, I think you, uh, there's so, you can, there's so much, 
criticism and such around, for example, like mega churches. But the one thing I will say, because I attend a mega church, the I one know. thing I will say is that mega churches have so many programs. I'll speak from for First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. <laughs> we have so many, and programs. I just have to say. First Baptist Church of Glen Arden in Washington, D.C., you, you know, have to go there. It is amazing. Um, My 13-year-old absolutely adored it, and now she's starting to watch shows, you know, watch the feed on the Internet. She loved it. Oh, my gosh. She can't wait to go back. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's... The the I think that when people think of mega churches, they think of you know ex- exploitation and such like that. And there has been some in the history of just like past mega churches and and just abusive leadership. We all know that like there's abusive leadership that still has yet to be spoken of, and they will have to be held accountable for that because that's a whole different topic. Because uh, I'm going to rant on that. But what I will say is for the mega churches that have actually been have borne the fruit of the spirit and are integral and are walking with with Christ and have accountability like First Baptist Church of Glenarden for example there's so much that the community pours into the church because of how much it pours back out right. like we have we had an interfaith um, conference recently which is so wonderful but also super unheard of for like Baptist churches to hold interfaith events because Baptist churches, evangelical, what have you, tend to be super conservative. So the fact that the pastor, Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr., the fact that he opened his doors to that and has genuine relationships with these multi-faith leaders is so inspiring and is something that I think that communities need. Like, we need for Muslim people to feel comfortable walking into a church. Like, there's no reason they should feel endangered when walking into a church because Muslim, Jewish Hindu, whatever the case, you are still the child of God to me. You are still one of God's children. And I fully expect you to feel safe and taken care of when you walk into the presence of a church building or a Christian. It doesn't matter what someone else might say like, oh, they don't serve our God. What does that have to do with them being a child of God? They are still one of God's children. Like, So the fact that um, I attend a church and I am a part of a community that does that really inspires me. And it really makes me think, whoa. Why isn't this happening everywhere? Like, what is happening? And how can I be a part of something that actually influences how this can be spread everywhere? Which is why, being the director of a young adult ministry, I think that I do have a really exciting position because I get to be a peer and a leader to a lot of people my age. And that is what we want to see. We want to see more spaces where it is literally inclusive to the core of what it means to be inclusive and not just representing Jesus as, you know, we like to view Jesus as some type of like free for all hippie, which is cool, I guess. He was definitely one of those, I guess. But also he was so righteous and he was sinless and holy. And that needs to be honored, too. And that is done through literally acknowledging and striving to have the fruits of the spirit through sanctification, through repentance, through, um, you know, all of these very what it seems like to be legalistic things, but beneficial to the kingdom as a whole. And I think that young adults have a perfect opportunity to join the hippie Jesus and the holy Jesus together. (laughs) Um, And as a young adult leader, I have an exciting opportunity to help uh, walk alongside my peers and making that happen. You know, I, you know, that's such a great point that you bring up. It's, you know, whenever I was an atheist in college and people would evangelize to me and just say, hey, do you know Jesus? I'd be like, 
I'd actually just kind of uh, sarcastically blow cigarette smoke in their face. Um, I just, I was total heathen pagan, I swear. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it annoyed me because I thought, what do these people know about my life? What do these people know about why I'm an atheist? What do these people, I mean, I bet your parents, you know, you know, I was just imagining all, all the ways their lives were easier than mine, you know, not a divorced parent, not, you know, parent that were addicted, not make, having to pay your way through college, you know, all these different things. And, you know, ultimately it was a young woman who demonstrated the fruits of the spirit where I saw Jesus in this person and I wanted that too. I wanted that joy and that peace and that tranquility and that radiance. I wanted that for myself. I saw the fruits of the spirit. And I think that that's why it's so important to teach young adults, you know, about the fruits of the spirit and Mm -hmm. um, help them understand that legalism is it's what sounds like legalism is actually teaching you how to live well. Mm hmm. But um, even even um, I saw something on TikTok, actually, (laughs) where these Christians did like some super artsy video, but it was saying nonbelievers don't read the Bible. And so basically they don't know who God is. So we literally have to be the Bible. Like we have to walk in such a way that they see the word of God lived out in our lives. And I thought that that was such a a good way to put it like that's a great they don't want to read the bible they have no reason to read the bible non-believers are non-believers because they don't they either choose to or because they haven't been introduced to the gospel that's just what it is like we can't we have to stop getting so mad at non-believers for doing what non-believers do like at, the, at some point we have to stop acting surprised like yeah. it's okay you know and i think that when we focus on literally walking in the spirit Number one, we wouldn't be so let uh, driven to offense so easily. Christians, we get so offended from, from everything. I'm like, guys, relax. And I think that when you walk out the word of God, when you preach the gospel, I used to have a youth uh, pastor, Reverend Queen. He's my spiritual father. He used to tell me, um, he said, I think, walk out the gospel or, or preach the gospel and then talk about it later. Right. And he would say it in such a way that it meant literally your life needs to be a reflection of the gospel. And if someone asks you about it, you should be prepared to talk about it. But you shouldn't lead with words. Right. You know, and I think that that's what a lot of my generation has the ability to do, because we are very close to some of our, you know, our passions about justice and and racism and all this stuff. All of them are definitely at the heart of God. But some of it can feel misplaced when the anger leads to sin. You know, the Bible doesn't say don't be angry. It says mm-hmm. be angry but and do not sin. And so we are allowed to feel all these feelings that God has felt before. God has felt anger. God has felt jealousy for us. God has felt anger towards sin. He's felt hatred towards sin. He's felt love and joy. And so when we submit those to God, he can help us place them in a way that will ultimately bear kingdom fruit. But I think a lot of my peers, we fall into the trap of being angry and then sinning and then being like God. And it's like, well, he didn't tell us to do that. We kind of just took that upon ourselves. And if, well, if, Asia, if I, I want to, um, our time is coming to a close, but I want to invite you back to talk about more about this evangelism among young adults. And I wanted to thank you so much for being with us today. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. It's you, fabulous. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com to find more shows and find out more about us. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious.